You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Good evening and you're all very welcome. It's in my memory that was once an advert and the punchline was, I'm only here for the beer. <laughs> I'm sure all of you are here for some solid academic content and not just the beer. Uh, but whatever your reasons, you're all extremely welcome to the Trinity Longroom Hub which is Trinity's Arts and Humanities Research Institute. My name's Eve Patton, and I'm director of the Hub. Uh, and some of you may know, if you've been with us during the week, that this event is the finale of a week-long Arts and Humanities uh, Research Festival, which we pioneered this year. And all I can say is, A, I'm exhausted, and B, I'm absolutely invigorated. It's been a fantastic week. Uh, and before I hand over to the team for this evening, uh, I'd just like to say a thank you uh, on behalf of all of us in the Hub. First of all, to the, the wider arts and humanities community in Trinity and all my colleagues who've contributed this week. Uh, I'd like to thank the Dean of Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences and her team, and I'd like to thank the Dean of Research and her team. I'd particularly like to salute our wonderful early career researchers you may have seen them running hither and thither in the orange t-shirt all week uh, to keep things running smoothly, both in here and across in our research booths over in the arts block. Uh, and I'd also finally like to thank very warmly and congratulate uh, the immediate Trinity Long Room Hub team who've kept the show on the road this week. So my warmest thanks uh, to Aoife King, who's done all of our media, to uh, the wonderful Christina Hamilton, who amazingly has got all the tech to work and done all our event promotion absolutely <laughs> brilliantly. I'd like to thank Emily Job. Thank Emily Johnson. And Emily has pulled together the wonderful publications posters that you may have seen on the way in, which have just been a triumph. I'd like to thank Eva Mulhouse, who's kept us in money and sandwiches. The sandwiches have actually been more important in the end. And of course, I'd like to thank our wonderful executive director, Katrina Curtis, who has made everything run smoothly from behind the scenes. As I say, it's been a tremendous week. Whether we'll do it all again this time next year, we haven't quite decided. Uh, but on that note, I'm really delighted to be here and uh, be able to sit and relax for this evening's event. And I will now welcome and hand over to the team who are going to talk to you, Susan Flavin and her colleagues. Well, we're really excited to welcome you all here on European Researchers Night and to end with a documentary about beer. And I know that you're all just here for, for beer, but I would like to take a few minutes, I suppose, to just put the, the brewing project in the context of the broader ERC Food Cult project um, overall. So Food Cult is a, a history-led interdisciplinary study of food and drink in 16th and 17th century Ireland. And of course this was a, a time of great change, both in terms of what people ate and drank, but also the cultural and social meanings of food. And as historians, we know that we can study this to a certain extent. So we can look, for example, at records like household accounts, as you'll see in, in this film. We can look at descriptions of what people ate, but all of these resources leave huge gaps in our knowledge. So they're very fragmented or they're very biased. We can't understand it all as historians. So the idea is that we can work with lots of other disciplines to help us build a more holistic picture of, of food and its meaning in this, in this period. So for example, 
We've been working with archaeologists at UCD, and Eleanor Carroll is, is here tonight. Um, and we've drawn together and mapped all of the remains from food and drink and the artifacts they're consumed and produced with from around the country from the 16th and 17th century. So around 200, over 200 sites from the whole island where we can now map and look for trends in diet um, over, over that period. Um, and, we, and this from the, from the castles, from the highest data sites to the lowest rural huts, so a really deep picture uh, of the, the geography of, of food in this period. And we've also used new scientific methods like organic residue analysis to chemically analyze the shards for pottery, so things that were used to cook food and store food in this period to see what, what was being used in different sites. And we've also looked at the individuals themselves, so the forgotten people, I suppose, that are eating and drinking all of this food. So using their teeth and bones, from men, women, and children, around 130 individuals from 13 different sites around the country um, to look at what they ate, how that changed over time, if it changed in response to the upheavals in the country during this time, whether that was siege warfare or religious reformation, um, if, it, if it's different depending on social status and so on. We're even looking at the calculus from their teeth to see what's remaining in that, and if that tells us any more about diet too. And then as well as all of these methods, we've also used practice-based approaches, and that's where the brewing comes in. So specifically, we recreated a beer from 1574 from Dublin Castle. And that was to really think, see if we could look at one food in great detail and think about the social and nutritional importance of that food in this, in this period. And the project, as you can see, brought lots and lots of people together from a multitude of fields, from microbiology to brewing science, and craft-based historical interpretation. And the documentary really is a way of, sort of bringing this together, recording and connecting the processes, but also the researchers who undertook all that work. And through using things like animation, sound design, and original music score, the creative team tried to capture the landscape, the sounds, the textures of the ingredients, the physicality of the work that was involved in this, in this period. So bringing the project together in another way that moves it beyond the academic article at the, at the end as well. Um, I should note that this was created on a shoestring budget, um, and a lot of it was filmed during COVID, um, which presented a lot of very unique challenges. You'll see the space that we had, to, we had to work in. And it was filmed in real time, so the crew were actually there when we were doing the live experiment, which caused lots of other uh, challenges too. Um, so they followed the, the journey really from the archive here right through to when we have a final drink at the end of the, of the film. And this all took quite a few years to, to produce. And what we don't have is a blooper reel or outtakes, um, which might have been a good idea because there were certainly quite a few, <laughs> quite a few minor disasters along the way um, that we don't show here. But we have our team of brewers here tonight um, who are happy to take questions on, on that or anything else. Um, we have Mark Meltonville, our, our brewer-in-chief, um, who's a food historian with over 20 years' experience of recreating different types of food and drink. Um, and is best known for working at historic royal palaces in, in the UK. Um, and we've got Dr. Charlie Taverner, our postdoctoral researcher, um, who really did an incredible job, um, having probably no experience in the scientific field, really had to set up a, a lab in a 16th century brew house, and then design and implement a really complex sampling procedure for the lots of scientists that were involved in this as well. Um, and as well as the team, we've invited Morris DC tonight from Canvas Brewing in Tipperary to join us because what you'll see in the film repeatedly, um, the theme that comes up is sustainability. So um, whether it's in relation to traditional skills and the loss of those or the ingredients that we use to produce this beer, uh, and Morris is keenly interested in this 
Um, as, a, as a contemporary farmer who's growing heritage cereals in Ireland, malting them himself and brewing his own beer locally. Uh, so it would probably be a really good opportunity to talk to Morris about the challenges of sort of sustainability in, in contemporary terms um, and think about that in terms of the importance of that in terms of food quality, the environment, food security, taste and, and so on. So I think um, Pactrum suggests that people were looking forward to this. <laughs> and I think after it, it's just been fantastic. This is the second time I've seen this film and I enjoyed it um, all over again. So huge congratulations to Susan. This is uh, what ERC money should be spent on. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and lots and lots more of that. Um, so I'm doing, I'm, my name is Ruth Barton, as I said, and, and I'm, I'm not going to... Um, I'm obviously, people are going to have a lot of questions in the room, so I'm just going to warm up by asking um, our guests this evening a few questions about, about the project, and then I'm going to throw it over to you, and um, we'll see where we get to. So um, I'm going to just start with you, Susan. Um, I, I know that we couldn't have the director um, here tonight. She, she had to be at home. Um, so I'm going to ask you just a little bit about the film and about making the film. And, I mean, you know, we could go on forever, but what? Why did you make a film? Are you a historian? <laughs> <laughs> um, and what were the challenges? Yeah, I think it started as a, to try and find a creative way of sharing the, the results, not just an academic paper, but to sort of bring in all these other people who were involved. Um, and for me, it was really about documenting the process. So Shapali is... Um, a broadcast filmmaker, but also a researcher. So she brought both aspects to it, sort of journalistic aspect, but also the creative aspect that was useful for this. Um, but I think probably the challenge was that we had different ideas. So the creative filmmakers wanted to make something very poetic. <laughs> and you can see the, the sort of lovingly lingering on the images of John, which are touch, you know, the tactile sense of the barley and the wind blowing and the sound. Um, but we wanted to make a film about process, and that was. That took a lot of negotiating in, in terms of how, how that comes across. So um, you can't put things in a certain order if they, if they happen in another order. So yeah, those those kind of challenges. And for them, logistically, it was very challenging because, as you saw, we had to be there. It had to be in Orkney on a certain week before the barley all fell over. It was a very small window, the same with the hops. So we were kind of tied to schedules in that in that sense too. But I think it works. It certainly works in terms of bringing bits together that wouldn't normally, you know. Found any type of academic output, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you'll probably get a greater, a greater readership than you would in the yeah. in the academic journal for sure. Um, so, uh, um, I mean, obviously, you know, the, I'm not going to speak too much about the film, but I'm, I'm interested in just some of the technical aspects, just to glum them for a few seconds. I love the animation; I thought it was fantastic. And um, maybe you just talk a little bit about where, about your sources for, for the animation, how you went. Yeah, so the, the problem was always that we were sort of making a 16th century beer, but we had, to, we had to do it in the present, so it was trying to draw the audience back into the period uh, as much as we could. So those were 16th century woodcuts, the, the vomiting peasant is a very famous <laughs> 16th century woodcut. That's probably my favourite piece of the film. It's just incredible, isn't it? So uh, Marianne at the London College of, of Communications did that, and then the mapping, again, the idea was to try to bring people from one, because we travel a lot, bring people from one side to the next and sort of try and get some coherence with, with that as well. And then technically the other thing was the sound, a lot of, a lot of work into the score. Um, Rob Tulson and Mike Exarchos at um, 
story labs well. Their musical acoustics and sort of interactive sound design. And Mike especially is really drawn to the what he described as alchemy when, when the beer is, is being made. So he tried to make a score that um, sort of complemented that. Yeah, and uh, one sort of final question on the film part. I mean, how, how much more film is there? <laughs> hours and hours. hours. I think it's normal, but you know, I did walk up and down that field a hundred times, and <laughs> there are lots and lots of there's lots and lots of footage and sound of you know sort of more sensory aspects of it that she probably would like to have gotten into the film, but there isn't there isn't time. So what they would like to do moving forward is make some sort of installation where people can come and experience it because it is quite magical to stand in the field of, of bear. Um, it's transportive, really, so to do something else with that afterwards would be great. Yeah, fantastic to have an afterlife. Mm -hmm. An afterlife, yeah. Yeah, for the project. Um, so I'm just going to um, maybe turn to uh, our other panellists here. And um, Mark, uh, yeah, would you, would, have you done this before? Has <laughs> <laughs> Are you a regular you, star? Or? Would you do it again? Um, <laughs> uh, yes, basically. Yeah, okay. Um, that was the reason that uh, Susan contacted me. I had this sort of weird phone call out of the blue. Poor thing saying, I understand you've made old beers. <laughs> but the project I'd just come out of before we did this one, which is why I rashly said, yeah, we can build a Tudor brewery. Uh, I'd been working in America. We'd built a uh, colonial one, so 1700, looking at their, their recipes and, uh, and, and brewing that as a, a mini project to, as a fundraiser for a museum. So I ended up on the side of a can like a lost child. It was brilliant. <laughs> and, and how did you become... I'm <laughs> a historian of, of old beers. Um, I'm not. Um, I'm trained in ceramic history. Oh, right. I ended up working, as was uh, mentioned earlier, for the Royal Palaces, which was the, uh, the non-residential palaces in England, uh, working under a food historian. Okay. And I was just out of this sort of place and have continued to do that. So I see my job as a social historian who looks at the stories of food, drink and dining. Mm -hmm. I keep being dragged into practical ones because okay. I rather like doing them <laughs> yeah, and, so, you do. and uh, <laughs> so I ended up in an American whiskey making project which entered an American beer making project which ended up in an English beer making project <coughs> which ended up in an Irish one and so on so I keep being uh, moved around. Oh, uh, no, that's great I mean I think it's just great to see academic work translating into mm. kind of practical outputs like this and and maybe Charlie, you'd like to talk about you know what that meant for you, you know, as a sort of yeah. as a junior. I'm not big, but you know, as a junior researcher, it's sort of on the learning curve. It, it might have gone in a different direction than what you thought when you signed up. For the <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was in the job description. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was really good fun, um, and it was really exciting for me because my background, a lot of my research in the history of work and working practices, and then to physically do some early modern work, some 16th century work was really interesting. Not only to understand like, the physicality, but also kind of less tangible things like sense of time passing and how long tasks take, and also how you work together with other people in a kind of social way when doing a job. Um, I think Mark will probably agree, like when me, you and Adrian were there for a week before, or several days before kind of getting everything, getting everything set mm. up. Um, we did a trial, trial run, and actually we were kind of pretty slick by, you know, run six. We did it six times before it went wrong. So, you know, we, 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 it, was, it was quite exciting to see how you can pick that up quite quickly in the team. Because then it kind of puts some uh, kind of real-life context in the kind of research you look at as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a family Morris, what, what's the verdict? Do they do well, do you think? Well, I can taste it. <laughs> <laughs>
Were you convinced? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I, it was only people sent me an article about this afterwards, and I said, uh, you, you didn't need to go to the board to find your reviews. So yeah, no, I, I would have loved to taste that beer. Um, and even there's a bunch of different, even tasting flat beer. As being a brewer, you taste beer through the process, and we work with heritage grains and kind of that manual side of things. But so I'm quite aware of like tasting flat beer is very different to our modern perception of highly carbonated bland beer. You know, it's it's different to our tastes of today. Mm. Um, and people, there's another interesting one as well of when we're thinking about people consuming nine pints of beer, we also think of the modern sense of us with like two thousand calories. You know, we don't want to consume more than that. But if you're a stonemason, you're expending six thousand calories. You know, like that's. To me, it's like a, after a hard day's work, splitting wood or do, like lifting bales or something. Like you've expended energy. Do you know, one pint isn't going to do much in that <laughs> sense. Never <laughs> 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 mind ten pints. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think on that note, we'll thank our panelists very thank much. You. And. Uh, <laughs>